Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hey. Hey. What's up, girl? <laughs> well, okay. it is very, very hot yeah. at the moment. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm feeling a little bit crazy and why I just <laughs> said that. <laughs> oh, it's so disgustingly hot here at the moment. It is Gross. 38 degrees today and it is going to be for the rest of the week. Ugh. It's too hot. Yuck. And I was painting a room today, like not fun painting, like painting a wall. Like white. Boring. White. Yeah. It was so hard. Oh, so hot and gross. Anyway, what have you been up to? Well, I've actually finally finished watching Dairy Girls. Yes. It is oh my God. so, so good. Isn't it amazing? Oh, my God. It's so funny. I think I'd watched one episode, like, over Christmas. When I, um, like, pestered you too? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I know I, I know you watch enough for you to know that it was my show. Like, yeah, you were definitely. Like, yes, Michelle, you'd love this. Yes. Yeah, it is totally up your alley. <laughs> but, yeah, I, um, I watched it with my roommate, and we were just, like, all the 90s music and everything is so good oh my I think my favorite favorite bit is when they're like it's like an assembly and the annoying like girl that they don't like is singing <laughs> she's like I feel it in my fingers <laughs> how good are the nuns though like I that just, sassy nun is the oh best my god, she's the best oh. but I just I know and she's like didn't I ban this song like, oh my god it's so good or and on the in the first episode when they're like you're going to be like a little flower growing. And the nun comes up and like, yes, well, that was just words. That's all it was. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Or she's like, do you actually want me to say dramatic force? Like, <laughs> oh, I love it. I loved it. It was I'm so, so, glad. so funny. Okay, good. I'm so glad. Yes. Yeah, so I'm like watching it. Binge. I'm watching it for like the third time now. Oh, so it's my like fun. I was like, I'm feeling a bit shit. I need to watch something funny. Like that yeah. was my funny thing. I know. Um, I finished it and immediately was like, Derry Girls season two. The trailer just came out. It looks really good. <gasps> I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I must watch it. <laughs> it looks so good. Um, I'm re-watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine after yes! our failed trivia. Oh, my God. That was not our fault. No, it was very difficult. It was like one of the most ridiculous trivia nights I've been to. So when I think trivia, I think like you're going to ask me questions a, that I'll know the answer to, but they're going to be actual, like, you know, in this episode, what was this? Or, like, who won the first Halloween heist or something like that? Yeah. See, there was no questions about the Halloween I know. Happened. I mean, they could have done, I mean, like, a whole there were questions. It's round, like, how many brothers does Amy have? Which you was know? good. Like, that, like yeah. that, but I thought that that's what the whole thing was going to be. No, it wasn't. So one round was, like, so they have the joke that's title of your sex tape. And from pictures, you had to say what the, the thing line was. was that prompted the joke. Yeah, so I think the only one we was, got right was cold air coming out of the box or something, because it was literally a box with, with like ice. In yeah, it, it was, was really like, hard. And then it was way too difficult. I mean, the one with um, guessing Captain Holt's facial expressions was quite funny. That was a pretty funny round. Yeah, but. It went too far from there. It got too hard. Yeah, um, because then the last round was guessing the name of the criminal based on 
like pictures again pictures like, but it wasn't necessarily like to spell the, out their name yeah like the cold air coming like, out of the box one was pr- like that was obvious but there was one where it was like you should get the name of the criminal based on this picture of what he was trying to do to Holt which had nothing to do with his name like that was really difficult yeah and also I mean it's a sitcom who cares about the villains yeah like it's not it's not like criminal minds no one remembers who the criminals are that's not why we're watching it we're watching it because it's comedy not because it's crime exactly basically yeah so that was difficult um I left early because I had to work the next day and it was like in like another town near us and I just was over it so I was really tired I left pretty soon after (laughs) yeah um which was a shame because we were all but we did have a fun night with everyone it's a very big team of people that we had not that that helped us at all (laughs) no I don't think it did I Um, think like half of us were playing and half of us were talking so yeah yeah, it was fun it was fun um I don't think Amy Santiago would have approved but she would not have approved. <laughs> Definitely not. Let's draw a line under that and it's move like on. It's like Gina Linetti came up with the trivia. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. It was very, like, bizarre. Yeah. Random. Yeah. It was weird. Anyway, um, two things I've watched in the past week, like, totally binged. The Cry and Dirty John. So both of these are, like, crime dramas. The Cry is... Um, based in a small Australian town where a baby goes missing from a car and it's told in a very interesting format because you know that the mum is on trial for something but you don't like know what until the end of episode three and everything sort of unravels Ooh. and yeah it's very interesting Ashiketti is in it oh, I love Ashiketti yeah it's really really good actually I think you but and like, Mon might enjoy it I think you and Mon might enjoy it because like again it's not like super super like crimey it's more like relationships people like drama yeah drama it's very good drama um and the only the only thing I found difficult I mean I got used to it by the end but um the woman who is like the the main character um she's also Queen Victoria so I just had a hard time like seeing her in normal clothes because she plays Queen Victoria and I'm just like but you, you just you're so I like, know. one yeah. thing I've seen online about Dirty John is that everyone remembers Eric Banner from the time traveler's wife oh and so they're like I expect him to like disappear and like yes. <laughs> yeah yeah um, so funny, funny you should that mention that though because that's the other thing that I binged and I just finished watching it today um, actually I was just telling you before we started that if you've listened to the podcast it's very similar um and I really appreciate how they use the narrative that um Chris Gofford had already set up in the podcast because he wrote that in a really great way I thought the podcast and the series of articles on the LA Times I just thought the way he told the story with the different timelines was really interesting so it was cool that they based the story like the drama off that and not off the story itself like yeah. I just think as a journalist I'm like oh that's so cool yeah. someone would base it off your articles um yeah really good Eric Banner was really creepy as John Mann I love Eric Banner <sighs> he was so good He's um great. totally forgot he was Aussie like he did a really good American accent oh good um Connie Britton was great um I had a lot of furious texts with one of my friends about the whole like rich bitch thing in this like they really are like it's set in Orange County and they're really like at one point she comes home and he's like why did you withdraw $30,000 from the bank account and I was like well 
lucky you had $30,000 to withdraw, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> it's sort of hard because... Um, so unrelatable. Well, yeah, but it does... I think a lot of people find it relatable in terms of, like, his abusive behaviour. Mm. But the thing it highlights is, yes, he was scamming her because of her wealth but her wealth also enabled her to get out of it um in a way that a lot of people aren't privileged to be able to do like the fact that she could have thirty thousand dollars in cash um out of her four hundred thousand dollar bank account whatever um but it's quite interesting because the way it ends is her calling the journalist back and yeah it's very cool and i imagine it's based on a real recording that he has um and basically she says, you know, I think I want to tell this story. It won't necessarily make me look good. And to be to be honest, it doesn't. Mm. Um, I think that she looks like someone who is trying to believe uh, because they want to be happy. And I think that, well, that many universal. of us... Yeah. yeah, I think many people can relate to that. I think the things that don't make people look good in this are the privilege that they have. Um, but, you know... That's, yeah. I mean, that's unavoidable. It is based in Orange County and he was looking for women who had money. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's sort of unavoidable. That's part of the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it just I made for lots of interesting it. discussions. Like The Cry, I think you'll enjoy it because it is about people and relationships more. than It's not like a murdery show. In fact, there's no real... There's not a lot of violence until, like, the last couple of episodes when everything starts to unravel. Um, I think if anyone hasn't listened to this, but they did read the Dan Mallory, AJ Finn article in New York Times, you're probably going to be intrigued by this because it's very similar, like, behaviour where people are building a life that is total bullshit. Hmm. I must say I kind of admire the way these people can do that because I cannot and, lie. And just lie to themselves. Yeah, I, I cannot yeah. lie. I cannot pull that shit off. So, no, like, I can't, I can't understand how they can keep track of all their lies and he was scamming, like, multiple women. Like, I just don't know how you do that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say, but that's kind of, yeah, impressive. Like, it's terrible, but... Like yeah, props to you that you can <laughs> you can keep track of that. I mean, I can't keep track of any of that yeah, shit. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Have you been watching anything? Um. Well, I have been watching New Girl. I got it um, on a hard drive. A little. Um. <laughs> so I've been watching New Girl, which is just like it's perhaps even like some of the silly like one of the sillier sitcoms I've watched and I'm not normally a fan of the uh like oh poor like female main character thing you know like Zoe Deschanel's character is sort of like the clumsy oh I'm living with three boys like oh silly me yeah (laughs) like it is a bit like that but it's just it's so silly that I'm like it knows what it is that's how I felt and about um, Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23. Yes, it's kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, this is ridiculous, but I'm going to go with it. Yeah, like it. Yeah. And yeah, so I've been going with it, and I think it's really funny. Um, but yeah, the other thing I have been completely obsessed with is Ariana Grande's new album, Thank You Next. So, so good. Oh my <laughs> God. I just, like, 
I haven't I listened mean, to the full thing yet. I yeah, need to listen to that's it. That's right. You yeah. do. And if you're going to be one of those people that's like, oh my God, Caitlin, I hate Ariana Grande. I'm like, that's fine. You do you. I love her. I love the album. And, you know, all those records she's been breaking with like so many streams mm. and everything. I'm probably responsible for a fair <laughs> few of them. So I just, um, like, I really like her music. I was just really surprised when the articles came out the other day. Um, oh, about the black fishing yeah, thing. So yeah, so I had no, – I was one of those people who was like, what, she's white? What? Like, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, so we actually very, had a pretty Yeah, we had a conversation about, about that. Yeah. yeah, because I've been following her for a few more years. I was like, no, I know she's white. She's Italian. This is like so – weird though like it just I don't know I don't think we're in any position to discuss this on the podcast because we are privileged white girls yes um but yeah I was surprised by that perhaps we should link to the articles in the show notes just so that if you're not aware of it like have a look but I do think she can make music yes yeah and yes like not you know not that this makes up for anything else that she may have or may ever do wrong but don't even try and tell me she can't sing like <laughs> yeah. holy crap yeah 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 but yeah I don't think we're in a position to like discuss that because we don't even no. know about it but other people who are I guess better place to discuss it have written some interesting articles that yes. we should link to yes um so yeah without further ado no our interview <gasps> oh no forgetting one of the most important oh. things we have to discuss in this intro What's that? We have a Facebook group oh, now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Please come join us. Yeah. Because so, it's a bit quiet there at the moment. And well, we'd love to have you join us. we haven't us. actually announced it on the podcast yet. So we mm. made the Facebook group after our discussion with Carly about how much we love Facebook groups. So we just, we just decided. Michelle basically added me as an admin and was like, we have a Facebook group now. And I was like, I cool. asked you first. <laughs> and I then know. I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, so we have a Facebook group, Better yes. Words Podcast Community. Search it in groups. Please come find us. And come chat. Request to join, and we'll let you in. Yep, we want to chat about books and podcasts and all this sort of crazy stuff that yep. we talk about on here. And we'll also be talking about our latest episodes as well, and some issues that get raised in them. Um, so yeah, please come join us. <laughs> it's it's going to be fun, I promise. Yeah, we just need a couple more people just to lighten everything up, but we have some amazing people in there already, so come mm-hmm. join us. We'd love it. Yeah. See you there. Now can we? Like, yes, go now to- we can okay. go to the interview. Bye. <laughs> Our guest this week has a wealth of experience in the book industry as both a writer and publisher. She has edited an anthology of spooky Australian stories, written flash fiction, and last year celebrated the publication of her debut novel, A Superior Spectre. She has also been part of Australia's literary criticism scene, writing as a literary columnist and reviewing for some of the country's premier media organisations. Welcome to Better Words, Angela Meyer. Thank you for having me. It is absolutely our pleasure. Yes, it is. Um, so I don't even know how work. to begin describing a superior spectre because it's like I would rather clunkily say it's a strange mix of sci-fi and historical fiction. It's certainly unlike any other book I've read. Yes, I That's agree. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a great way. Um, 
how would you describe it? How do you tell people about this? What's your elevator pitch for this? Um, if I'm just talking to a sort of stranger, I'll say, um, you know, that it's literary speculative fiction, sort of the same genre as, you know, Margaret Atwood, that sort of thing. Um, and I usually tell them the basic plot, which is um, a man um, runs away from his life um, with an experimental technology that allows him to enter the mind of someone in the past and that it's set in Scotland. <laughs> Well, yeah, that sums it up, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, once you say it, you're like, yeah, well, that is the story, isn't it? Why do I yeah. find that so difficult to summarise? <laughs> I think you, I think we have found it a little bit difficult to summarise in that way because it is so unlike anything we've ever read. Like mm. I've never, I mean, yeah, the mix of um, like sci-fi or even like dystopia an, yeah. Yeah. With, with the historical fiction element is and know, not something that and I've I, seen combined. I struggle yeah. to say that it's straight like speculative fiction only because there is, we go so much into um, Lenora's life back in the 1700s. The 19th century, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that you're like, oh, this feels so much like historical fiction. It's just, it's such an interesting blend. Um, I'm really curious about, the inspiration behind that and sure yeah Yeah. how did you come up with this idea (laughs) um I think it was a matter of having various elements of it floating around in my head and then it all coalesced um so I had this sort of idea of um this man who had a robot or, or an android helper so that was sort of floating around um and I've always been interested in neurotechnology and neuroscience in general so that was there and then I've spent a lot of time in Scotland I'm like in love with Scotland and I was in Scotland and I was thinking about this woman who lived in the 19th century and was sort of coming of age um, and was researching a bit um, where I was staying which was around Cardew um, and I ended up having her live around where I was and I was at the Edinburgh Book Festival and it kind of just all came together in my mind it was one of those amazing periods in my life where um, I managed to have some time and space which is not something that I have very often I saved really hard and my partner at the time and I were traveling in Scotland we were working as we were going so that meant that we could kind of like travel for a little bit longer and yeah I think it was it was just having that kind of my mind open to the idea um, that I wanted to um, write a novel and all of these ideas just came together and I thought I actually had another another manuscript at the time which I started sending out and I withdrew that because I realized if I could pull this off this very strange idea um, that maybe it would be a much better and more ambitious novel so I did I gave it a go (laughs) which is quite scary though yeah the idea that you know it is a huge thing that like you said you had to pull it off yeah, um, yeah, it was a challenge. That's really scary as a writer. How did you, like, lean into that? I think because it was so exciting and so fun and I do like a challenge. Um, I think I do get bored. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I really like the idea, too, that Australian fiction can, you know, be a very broad church and have, um, I mean, we've definitely seen in recent years a lot of um, wonderful different genres kind of um coming out of uh, Australia and um yeah I think mainly I just I just was yeah I knew that the idea would be good if I managed 
to pull it off. Um, and <laughs> it was fun. It was fun to write. So then, you know, faced with the challenge of it and everything, you decided to, I, I don't want to say like scrap your safer choice, but you really, I suppose, were, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Ambitious? Ambitious maybe? Yeah. Like yeah, going for was. the real. It was a creative ambition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did. I did decide to scrap the other one essentially, which was a <laughs> um, manuscript I worked on for my doctorate. But the world that Jeff comes out of is actually the world that I built in that novel. So it's not kind of wasted. Um, mm. It ends yeah. up just being sort of background work and it's just like a less sophisticated novel in some ways, like in terms of the amount of um, uh, ideas that I'm putting into it, I guess. This this book carries more, more layers to it. Um, mm. And, um, yeah, to try and do that and still make it, like, readable and make it entertaining and make it um, make the characters empathetic that people would want to keep reading, that was they were all layers of the challenge, I guess. Yeah, well, I think you succeeded there because... Thank you. Um, I mean, we just, we both really love the characters. I think especially Lenora, like she's so interesting um, and her story feels so like feminist and there's a lot of reflection on, you know, her role and the, um, I guess, the her gender and the power of sexuality and everything. So why did you Thank want you. to explore that? So I am, I've always been interested in the idea of desire and I guess that comes out a lot in my writing and a lot of the my favourite books, I guess, have sort of desire as a, a theme and mm. um, desires often repressed or held back or um, expressed in, you know, not the right way for the time or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think in writing um, a woman character in the 19th century, I mean, naturally, um, especially when she's sort of forced out of um, where she's quite comfortable into a different environment, which is more sort of, um, rep- repressive and and buttoned down. Um, yes, I was really interested in her being almost like her story being um, instead of her sort of searching for something, it's that she actually was quite happy, and then she's forced out of that. Um, and then to take things further, you know, she begins to become aware of this invasion of her senses, which is Jeff from the future, not that she knows that, and then she has to sort of find out what is happening to her. Um, you know, because she really fears that she's going mad. Um, and I think with her and with there was a significance in making, obviously, Jeff a man and making her a woman and mm-hmm. um, that he feels a lot of shame over his, like, aberrant desires, which I won't go into, but um, but he doesn't think a lot about the consequences of the way that he treats the women in his life and the way that Mm. his continual visits to Leonora might be affecting her. So there is a bit of a, uh, an idea there that, you know, he's very self-aware and forward thinking, he thinks, but (laughs) he's still misogynistic, you know, he's still um, much more concerned with his own, selfish needs even if that is you know to die he wants to die um, yes because he also leaves his partner. his wife yeah yeah his, so yeah. and I his think family you see that transcend yeah. just Lenora's story it's it's throughout the whole novel yeah. yeah and then the woman the landlord who sort of 
takes him in and he's very dismissive of her. I tried to sort of make the language around that very casual, but, you know, it's something that I think as women we become quite used to, you know. it's um, Mm. No, I agree. And that is something that um, I think what you just said then about um, he, you know, thinks he is quite self-aware. Yeah, (laughs) that. <laughs> that line is just really sticking with me about Familiar. Yeah. you know various yeah. men in the world because um, yeah. I think that that is you know especially in this in this day and age that we're in right now you know we'd all love to believe that we're so far beyond all of these things but I think we've got a, a little way to go but that's a, a whole like other discussion who say oh well, I don't see gender or yeah. I don't see your race and it's mm-hmm. like oh you, yeah you're not yeah. really acknowledging the problem there yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean one reason I wanted to make Jeff sympathetic in himself is that um it is a, a systematic thing you know it's sort of he he is a product of his society as much as you also say you know mate kind of do better you know yeah um, no he yes, is he not is. really as well yeah <laughs> I think um there was a line that stuck with me in the book and I'm probably absolutely going to butcher it saying it back to you but there's this wonderful quote from um Lenora who says perhaps women's madness is just uh, glimpses of the future or something yeah, like yeah. that and um I ended up writing that down in my reading journal because it just struck it stuck me so much um that I, I really enjoyed the exploration especially towards the end of her hysteria where we know that something is very very wrong yes. but obviously it's totally beyond any sort of comprehension of anyone at that time and that just it feels so meta and I yeah. just, I loved that. Like it just, it really challenged me as a reader, which in an enjoyable way though. Thank um, you. So I really, really loved that though, the discussion around women's hysteria generally at that time um, being something that, you know, there were women who were taken away and women who were cast out away from society because of their hysteria. Yeah. And now we look back, I guess, with kinder eyes to to say, well, why was that? Yeah. That's really interesting, though, that this suggestion, um, obviously an imagined suggestion that this is what's yeah. happening in her life. But, I mean, it could also be, it's just, I think give this us book time. just gives it might us be so true. Many, yeah, <laughs> this book just gives us so many options because you can kind That's of good. even ask yourself, like, <laughs> you know, is she even, and I'm, I'm going, I'm sorry, I'm going off on tangent, but is she even really experiencing this or is this her own psychosis? Like it's just very. That's right. Yeah. It, yeah it just it spiraled yeah. in, in my mind as I was reading it and I found it really engaging. Um, Thank you. And I'm glad that Caitlin's reading this one too, because it's not something Caitlin would usually pick up, but I'm glad yeah. we get to read it together because we yeah. can discuss it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Yeah, because it's so many different elements of this and it does feel very complex and layered and um, I can see why it was it was not the safe option. Mm. Yeah, and thank <laughs> so you. Congratulations. No, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, I'm still kind of astounded that I managed to write a book with a plot um, because, <laughs> because it's actually one of the hardest things to do. I mean, yeah. for some writers, not all writers, because... I work with writers in my day job. It's easier for some than others, but um No, I agree though. Yeah. I agree because I mean someone like 
for example, a, a Jeffrey Archer. Yeah. He's, he is such a master storyteller, not yeah. necessarily a brilliant wordsmith. And that's fine because you kind of go into his books expecting a rollicking good tale. Yes. Um, and then sometimes I'm put off by a book that I see is on the man book list because I'm like, well, I'm not going to understand that. That's going to be just gonna way be too... Sprawling words, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, like, there is a time and a place for words. And for me, like, the best authors get both the words and the yeah, plot. the balance. Yeah. Yeah, my favourite books do that too. Yeah, I feel like um, one of the best examples of this who's also very successful commercially is Victoria Schwab. Um, I think I she is a brilliant her. example. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, I haven't either. Well, see, I'm really bad because I, like, bang on about her being one of my favourite authors and I haven't read her Shades of London series, which is the one that has catapulted her into, like, right. I guess – fame i i um read her um her i think it was her second novel actually um the archives and then the sequel to that the unbound and then Mm -hmm. her other novel vicious and i feel like she does that very very well but i need to read the rest of her books in saying that but (laughs) you definitely managed to to blend those two things was that difficult as a writer and as I guess as someone who's in publishing too, so you have that other perspective of knowing mm. what works commercially and what will sell. Was that difficult? Yeah, no, I had to. You have to not think about that stuff when you're writing. That's for sure. Like the whole marketing side of things, that just has to go out of your head. Um, but I think when I think about plot, I think maybe a little bit what I enjoy and what I think is something I've learnt more about in the last like five years or so, um, including like writing this book, but also working on other people's book is more conflict and tension. Um, So a book might not have like a beginning, middle end, like really, you know, clear plot, but it will still have um, this tension in the writing. Um, I'm thinking about Deborah Levy's um, most recent book that I of course, the name has gone out of my head, but um, <laughs> it's nonfiction and it's just, I mean, it's hard to describe because it's sort of her going through a particular part of her life and it's thoughts and it's things that happen and things like that. But it's like a page turner because she holds this tension between ideas in the book and it is set over a period of time. So there is a sort of um, movement in it, but it's these kinds of things I think um, I'm really interested in, yeah, like those sorts of aspects of books. And when I work with writers, obviously, um, I'm trying to find ways to articulate these things to them when we're working together. Um, but when you're working on your own uh, work, it has to be, it has to become sort of like a natural function or something, you know, because you kind of just have to go into the writing and then the editing of your own work. And there has to be, a level of trust and that you just know how to do it. And that just takes years, like for me, many years of practice and many years of reading and many years of deep reading. And, um, yeah, I think you could probably lose it at various points in your life as well, you know, if something gets in the way of it. But I think it's like, I don't know, learning an instrument or something. Mm. Um, It's so hard with writing too because there's no specific measurable outcome like you can learn no. an instrument and you and can play the song well yeah you can you play know. the song well yeah. or you can you can do exams and that's it but then when you look at um when you look at writing yes. you know if even if we use publication as a marker 
for mm-hmm. success. There How... are still good books that don't get published because exactly. of the market, and that's when we come to that. And, you know, there yeah. are, there's some crap that gets published too. Absolutely. You know, that sells amazingly. And I think we yep. all know what I'm yep. talking about. Um, Absolutely. So, so <laughs> you know, that's, is that the, then the mark of like it, it, it's just such an arbitrary marker of success and I think that's something that every writer really struggles with and it's interesting sure. that you have the perspective of both sides then. Yeah, I think. In some ways, working publishing is good because you're really aware of the realities, um, how tough it is. Like, it really is tough. The industry is really tough. Um, but at the same time, um, it is feels a, like a real milestone to have the first novel out there. Like, it does, yeah, there is um, something very tangible about, you know, when it comes in the mail and it's got a cover on it and, then yeah, the next yeah. step when people are reading it, like talking to you and still, you know, to have these responses where people are spending time in the heads of these characters that I've <laughs> made up in my own mind is um, very surreal and, and lovely and like, uh, yeah, and I don't know, I, I would love to, I think the main thing for me with the whole publishing and market and blah, 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 is that I just want to be able to keep writing novels. <laughs> So, yes. you know, you want to have a level of success that just allows you to do that. And um, whether that means, you know, you also just have a day job that supports you enough um, so you yeah. can keep <laughs> writing and, you know, hopefully lovely small presses will always come on board. Um, but you don't know. It's really tricky. There's a lot of people who have their first novel published too and never get a second novel published because mm. the first one didn't sell enough and there's this sort of tyranny of uh sales figures in the industry um so yeah it's full yeah. on <laughs> and I just want to do some myth busting as well mm-hmm. you work in publishing but yes did you still have to go through the pitching process that any debut author would oh face? absolutely yeah um I mean where where I'm lucky is that I definitely did had met lots of people so when so I got an agent Martin Shaw and but I did get rejected by a US agent before that I'll tell you that uh and then Mm -hmm. when Martin sent it around I think where I was definitely privileged was that um people knew my name so that it would get read fairly quickly which Mm -hmm. doesn't happen for everyone um but still it took a year before I had a publishing contract and a lot of rejections um they were very lovely but it was definitely (laughs) you know you've read it it's a weird book I think a lot of them didn't know how to position it so much of publishing it is a business perfectly <laughs> understandable that they wouldn't want to publish things they, they don't think, know yeah yeah mm. if they think it won't sell it's the same reason why anyone you know like why cafes don't make disgusting cakes you know like because <laughs> they won't sell or something that even just sounds a little bit strange yeah because if you have to say to someone no it tastes better than it sounds like yeah. that's the, the rate of purchase is definitely <laughs> going to be lower. But just before we, I, I want to 
move on to, um, you know, some discussions around anxiety and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But before we do, um, there's an interesting quote that um, you shared on your website from Craig Hildebrand, which is, to compare Lenora's story to other historical fictions is to become complicit in Jeff's haunting. Do we read other stories to escape our own? And in reading them, do we confirm on these characters a life of conflict and tragedy and trauma that only exists because we are there, spectres in the minds of these characters that's huge a huge concept um what did you think of that when you read that quote Uh, I was so relieved when Craig when I saw his review because he just got this whole layer of the book that none of the reviews that I'd seen had gotten which is the fact that it's really written by someone whose whole life is uh, literature so there there is inherently in it this sort of question about reading and empathy um, and I, I don't think I really knew when I started writing it that that was going to come into it, but it did. Because um, we're, as readers, um, sort of forced to see things from Jeff's point of view as he's forced to see things through a woman's point of view, and it doesn't mm. actually change him. Does it change us, you know, when we're reading Jeff's quite challenging point of view? Does it change us when we read? Um, and even though my whole life is books, I swing between having this like, you know, adamant belief that they are good and that they do good in the world and that they're essential and then this scepticism that they don't change anything at all and they're just a way, another way to escape ourselves, you know. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess that's sort of there in the book and how wonderful it is to like have someone attentively read your book and find <laughs> these things in it so uh, I'm so grateful for that I think it's a, such an interesting concept um, because when you summed up just then saying you know you do have those two perspectives that often interplay I didn't realize until you kind of said that that that's sort of how I feel as well yeah right yeah because I mean we're we're in the same position as you like our whole life is books yeah whole life but you yeah. know we're we're both huge readers and I'd like to think that my reading does really change me. Yep. But then again, I'm such a voracious reader that I'm seeking out books that will change my perspective. So I think yeah. that's a very privileged position yeah. to be in um, and, and one is, that's not general. Well, well yes. yes, that's true. But it is also interesting that as as a big reader, we potentially take more out of some of these books than other people do. Yeah. But that also... Like, oh, I could name so many books that I think have, you know, changed the way I've thought about things or have affected my life in some big way. But you also, oh, what was I going to say? Um, damn it, I completely lost what I was going to say. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it was something profound, I think. <laughs> but anyway, maybe that means it's time to move on from that. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's right. If it comes back to you, you can <laughs> bring it in. Um, okay. So let's move on from that then to a bit of a bit more of a discussion around publishing and literary criticism in Australia, mm-hmm. particularly. So we're really interested to hear your thoughts on you know the state of reviews in mainstream media. Sure. Um, well, since I've been working publishing, I haven't uh, been writing reviews just because it's sort of a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm more of a reader of reviews now, which is quite a pleasure. Um, 
it's hard because I don't know if I ha- currently have any specific thoughts about it. Um, other than it's sad that there aren't as many review pages as there used to be. And that's sad as a publisher, you know, the, the kind of space um, for people to become aware of new books is, has shrunk. Um, we rely a lot on the booksellers and them like hand selling and talking to people. Um, and then there's, you know, spaces like Goodreads, like global online spaces where anybody can review a book and people, some people write really amazing insightful reviews and some people are just really not right very good yeah spaces um you know just it's their like, own personal reading diary of like <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I, this. Just, I didn't like this you know yeah just like um you know not really making judgments about books but actually just being like I didn't like it yeah which is um not really a review which, no yeah. it's not and it doesn't mean anything to anyone else because no. we don't know why you didn't like it yeah <laughs> or why exactly. you did you know yeah um, um, so with things like Goodreads then, um, you know, obviously that's impacted on review pages in the, the mainstream media. Um, yeah. But has there also been, I guess, this feeling that these gatekeepers of our interests maybe can be circumvented by social media? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think it's fairly true. I think there's a sort of, demographic of people that would actually read book reviews there's a demographic and then there's also I mean in the newspapers and maybe something like Australian book review um people who read them people who seek them out uh and then there's a lot of other people who read books but just wouldn't buy a newspaper or wouldn't or they might see something if it's shared by someone they know online (laughs) so um I don't know like I honest my honest answer is that I don't know currently what the sort of role of reviews are I really love reading a well-written review I'll often buy will buy a book because I've seen a review of it that tells me what the book is um not just you know whether it's good or bad but it so actually sometimes it doesn't matter if the review says it's good or bad but whether it tells me if it's something I'm interested in reading and as a reviewer I was always interested in doing that like I would make a critical point but I would make sure that any reader encountering the review knew enough about the book itself to know whether they might still be seeking it out. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Not yeah. recounting the plot, but like saying here are some of the themes and ideas and um, yeah, a little bit about the plot or yeah. Yeah. So do you think that we need some more diverse voices in those traditional spaces because definitely yeah they're generally I just think of um a book review in the Australian as being written by an old white man Um, yeah I don't don't know how true that is I don't think they all are necessarily but um I think in in all areas of the industry we need more diversity 100 percent um like it's it's taking longer than it should and um, we all have a part to play in it. I have a part to play in it. My bosses, everybody, um, the new, you know, newspapers, magazines. Um, and I do think things are slowly getting there. But um, <laughs> people at the top have to be interested to change and I think that's a challenge. Because mm, there's a... There's a- um, a fear then of giving up the what what they see as giving up power 
Well, they just have to be in, they just have to care. I mean, Mm -hmm. that sounds really bad, but um, there's so, there's so much um, busyness and people just kind of like getting on with things and not, and and getting too tired to kind of like continue um, investing in the industry that they're in. Does that make sense? Mm, um, like it's just easier to stick with the status yeah, quo. That's, that's the sort of thing I'm saying. And there needs to be more thought, but it's a sort of capitalist issue in some ways. It's like that there's a system and it gets reinforced and reinforced and to make cracks in it uh, is hard when you're just working from the bottom. But mm. from the, it, things to happen at the top, people have to they have to care enough to do it. And I think like yeah. I'm being super sceptical again, but I think there's a lot of blasé-ness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, which is horrible to, and horrible, well, No, really. to draw a similar point, we went and saw On the Basis of Sex mm-hmm. um, when, when it came out and that was like a prime example of it didn't really affect those in charge. So they just kind of, oh, but we'll just go with it because... This yep. is the way it's always been and, uh, you know. There's, like, a lot of, there's a lot of this is the way it's always been in the publishing yeah. industry, I can tell you. Yeah. 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 And, in, and in a lot of things, in a lot of things yeah. where we need to change, whether it's, um, you know, in, in so many different workplaces. Absolutely. so many different things. And um, I think that's something I've been thinking about this weekend as well because I just finished Say Hello by Carly Findlay and that was talking a lot about disability Mm -hmm. and that diversity and I think it's so obvious that we just need to change but it's so ingrained in the way that we're brought up that it it can be really difficult. Yeah, and if you're the one uh, bringing that stuff up at a company and constantly bringing it up, you Mm. sometimes, um, I mean, you have to keep doing it and you have to keep fighting but you take on that labour and then if you're not being supported by your bosses, by your peers, it can also mean um, that you are in a difficult position, you know, like that's something Carly puts beautifully in the book as well. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that was Sorry for that little diversion, but we're having so much fun chatting to you. (laughs) No, it's great to chat to you too. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Well, the other thing that we wanted to talk to you about was – you wrote a really fascinating piece for the Wheeler Centre in 2013 on, you know, writing and anxiety and, you know, all of that, oh, I suppose, writing and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, inadequacy. So, yes. Oh, just all of it. So now, you know, that we're in 2019, mm. you know, how do you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that now, I suppose? <laughs> Yeah, look, I, do you know, I can't remember the details of the piece, but was it after? <laughs> well, it was a while ago. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, it was a while Sorry, ago. I was deep stalking you when I put No, that that's, up. that's fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, anxiety is something that I still live with and have to deal with on an almost daily basis. And it's another one of those things, I think, um, when you're in a kind of professional capacity, it's very difficult to um, bring up how these things affect you in work sense because mm. really the idea is that you're just getting on with things and getting on with your job and doing yeah. your job that you're getting paid to do. Um, yeah, just do the work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think 
one of the hardest things about my day job is in the anxiety factor is that I take on the responsibility for other authors and other and people I they're all people I care about very much um, not just my own work and I think that's something I didn't entirely anticipate how much how affecting that would be you know Um, because then you're you're going through their ups and downs and things like that while at the same time you have a company mission and you have you know you have your job to do Um, so that's something that's like a new aspect compared to in 2013. Um, On the writer's side of things I think it's a little bit calmer actually Um, and I think having the novel out has helped with that. Um, It it yeah it was a sort of marker that sort of helped to go okay I've done that um I'm I'm terrified now that you know I may not be able to write something as interesting maybe again (laughs) Um, second book syndrome yeah yeah, but at least I have the at least I have the thing where I'd like I have released a kind of a novel within different genres so I can kind of go anywhere from there I'm not really stuck like Mm. a crime writer would be or something like that where you know, people, if people like the first one, they want more of that. Um, yeah, I have no idea what to expect from your yeah. future work. I really don't. <laughs> that's good. That's good. So that's, that's a plus and that's like <laughs> something nice for me and not as anxious, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But I guess the hard thing um, with your first book is that it's so beautifully written that, you know, that that in itself is something to... Yeah to cause anxiety and yeah, yeah, put that on you. I, I just know that. how I feel when, you know, if you get, you're in a subject at university and you get mm-hmm. one good mark on an assignment and you're like, oh, i got to keep up that standard yes. now. Like, yeah. shit, of like course. straight out of the gate, I've got a really, like I've got a HD. Now no, I need to keep true. that up. You, you do, yeah, that's definitely something I have always done, which is set the bar higher and higher for myself. And at work too, I've had a very big successful book. So there's also the fact that you don't, well, I have published other books that have done well, but, you know, when you've had like a big one, there's also that not wanting people to see you as a one-hit wonder or something. So yeah. there's always some anxiety, you know, no matter yeah. what no matter what I'm doing. I think and that is a part of my personality. But um, the flip side of it, it has meant I do know. I think there's a level of care there. And I know that one thing that I don't doubt is I always do my best because I think everything through as much as I can in the time I have. And I think that's, that's a side to it that I'm, I can be grateful for my anxiety. Absolutely. (laughs) I think there are so many anxiety superpowers and amazing empathy and really good emotional intelligence is is one of the oh, two of them I think that I found anyway they're they're my like my little superpowers as opposed to being yeah. giant pains in the ass <laughs> yeah yeah and I mean there yeah. has to be something good because the suffering side of it is not good yeah. <laughs> the, it, it's really good to think about the positive side of it and actually I've talked like quite a few writers uh, have anxiety and um, it it's something that you can channel um Hmm. on a good day it's a funny sort of thing (laughs) to think about you know writing anxiety like does this creative life make us anxious or do Mm. we seek out this creative life because we're inherently prone to anxieties it's a bit it's probably a bit of both I think I think (laughs) I definitely sought out uh the things that I do 
certainly writing um, because of that agitation in me um, and also being fairly ambitious. Um, I think that's there's sort of part of my drive is related to it. Um, but it has that flip side where you're like, now I'm doing too many things, you know, and then you get anxious <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the thing that sort of made me feel a little bit calmer because I was like, oh, well, everyone experiences this yeah. was um, I saw Helen Garner speak in Geelong last year mm-hmm. and she mentioned at one point that, you know, each book she does, uh, she by the end of it thinks she's worked this out and she knows how to be a writer and then she goes to start the next piece of writing and it doesn't actually even have to be a book. It can be any piece of writing no matter what the length and she goes to start and she's like, how do I do this again? Like, yeah. what? I'm wretched. I can't do this. I'm never going to produce anything good ever again. And I was like, well, if Helen Garner, yeah. who for people who aren't familiar is, you know, one of the literary legends of Australia, if she can feel that way and have so many critically acclaimed books, yeah, well, right, like, we're just going to have to go with it because it's and just yeah. hope for the everything. Rest of us. Yeah, like, but it's not hopeful because you're like, oh, crap, we all have to do it. But at the same point, it's like it's just something you have to accept that we're all going to go through it's yeah. no matter what you're writing. Like yeah. I'm not writing fiction and I still, every time I write a story at work, yeah. even though even if I'm writing four stories in a day, there's still that blank page anxiety. We're like, uh, what's my story? What am I going to do? Yeah. And yeah, it's still like you can churn out some great articles and then turn around the next day and be like, I'm just having a really off day where everything I write sounds like crap but I'm at a daily newspaper so it's just so you just have done. to get on with it yeah yeah no, and totally today's understand. just going to be below my average so yep. yeah yeah it's it's an interesting conundrum and I'm sure many creative people can relate even if you know like I think it's the same for bloggers for Instagrammers anyone yeah. who's doing something that doesn't have a tangible six like success marker whether it's photography or anything like it's yeah, yeah, it's and it's I, sort of this creative dilemma. I think you'd actually get a bit worried if it became too easy. Uh, yes. I think actually you might <laughs> might do like when you wrong. like. Did you ever have that moment when you're at school and you like walk out of the test and you're like oh, that was really good and you're like shit, I probably just got everything wrong. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was way too easy. Oh, I can't have prepared that well. Yeah, I had yeah. that once. I was the first person to leave a math exam and I was like, I'm probably going to fail because <laughs> that was just. I was like, I don't remember, but I remember, (laughs) I I think I was feeling a little bit sick, but I had finished and I put my hand up and the teacher was like, Caitlin, are you sure you want to leave? And I was like, (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm sure. And I was feeling a little bit sick. So I think that probably contributed, but I really was the first person to leave. I may have skipped one question. I don't remember, (laughs) but I was, yeah, I think, you know, authors who are really confident about their work. My theory is that their uh, editor probably does a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> or, you know, they end up being like Dan Mallory and just being oh, yes. oh an God. absolute, like, I don't even know where to begin. But, I mean, that confidence is a whole issue in itself. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. A yeah. very unique case, I think. Yes. <laughs> hopefully so. Hopefully, well, hopefully, yeah. 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 One, Hopefully you know. that is an anomaly. Yeah. But, oh, my God, it's a good story. <laughs> oh, it was. I mean, truth really. is stranger yes. than fiction. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it. I was just like. <gasps> oh, my God. Actually, yeah, what was the reaction of, like, you know, people in your office and stuff and people in publishing? Because 
it yeah, just, Mo- mostly know. mostly fascination, um, a bit of definitely horror, you know, especially when yeah. that line about his publishing salary. We were like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> and also then, you know, basically because he had people doing all the work because he was out of the office pretending to have cancer. Uh, yeah. That made me angry. That made me <gasps> oh angry because I'm sure they were yeah. winning. Um, yeah, but I, I must say I was also just, vaguely amused by it because I was like how how because it's yeah it's almost too ridiculous that you're like how how did he get away with it how did he keep track how how did anyone believe it yeah but you know like like, we all believed it just got to carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man yeah yeah yeah. it's true (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can get anywhere and do anything (laughs) um so to finish, um, I think it would be really interesting if we all sort of shared whether we would use the technology that Jeff mm. uses in a superior specter if that indeed became available to us. It is an interesting question. You know, I think the way that I've set it up is that it's at an experimental stage, but the idea is that it would be marketed and become normal. And to me, I think it would be like it would be normalised. It would be the way that we think about buying you know the newest iphone or whatever um Mm. if it was widely available on the market so i think in the context of that future time i probably would yeah i've got to say i agree i think i definitely want to know medically that everything's okay and i wouldn't be trying it in the experimental phase um and you know if it says only go back three times i certainly wouldn't be pushing that boundary yeah Mm -hmm. that's what i was gonna say is that i 100 percent would but i'd follow the rules yes i would follow i'd like to think i would follow the rules anyway i mean that's yeah scary though like it is very scary so scary because what if you like got sent back and you were in a battle or something like that would be shit well they would be want to go back probably (laughs) um and also i just want to know and angela it's your world so you can Mm -hmm. you know make it up but could you choose different time frames or you just is it just the luck of the draw is the gamble of it part of the excitement i think in this first phase of the chips it's it's the gamble of it that is part of the excitement of it it's like someone you know i imagine it's it's beyond a time of um it's it's partly a leisure drug and it's partly a leisure tech so Mm. yeah so it's people you know really bored i guess and sort of overworked and just like want to completely escape um the imagine how large the population is by then and you know how stressed we are about the environment and all those things and they just want to take a trip to another time frame to a simpler time lose but themselves it's... like you know, as in lose their, themselves is gone they are someone else yeah um, I think it it has such it could create a more empathetic society though if people actually learned yes that will they will abuse the it that's yeah that's the science fiction well exactly in an ideal world yeah yeah but do humans ever learn from their past mistakes no (laughs) look at the world uh, yeah exactly (laughs) oh well like if we had another hour chatting i'm sure we could fix everything oh Um, definitely (laughs) better pour a glass of wine and yeah yes absolutely (laughs) Um, no thank you (laughs) it's been such a pleasure um Angela, where can people find you online? Uh, literaryminded.com.au 
And I'm basically literary minded everywhere, which was my MySpace name back in the day and became my handle on everything. So I love that you kept it. Stuck yeah, with well, it. at least you had a good one. Like, it wasn't like baby love. Yeah, yeah. X underscore. My old top mail. That was um, not mine. I just made that off the top of my head. That was absolutely not mine. Sure. My old, old hotmail email address, like, and I think, no, I think it was a hotmail. I was going to say it might have been Emerson or something, but oh, yeah. I think it was hotmail. Emerson. Was um, kitkat.chocolate. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, well, since we're sharing, mine was like Bumblebee something. I don't know Cute. where that came from. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, thank you so much for joining us, no Andrew. Thank, thank you so you. much for having me. Yes, thank you so much for joining us and have a lovely evening. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at Better Words Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.